Well, we come now to begin our six weeks series in the Psalms. Uh, and the purpose of this series really is to spend some focused time uh, thinking about how we keep walking with God through times of particular trials. Uh, trials that the Psalms actually speak into. And tonight we're going to be looking at Psalm 88, as Andrew said, as we think about how to walk with God through the struggle of depression. Uh, there is an outline of uh, this talk on the website. Uh, but it would be most helpful if you keep your Bibles open to Psalm 88. I'll pray, and then we'll look at this passage. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, I pray that you would use me in my weakness to glorify you through a faithful exposition of your word. Father, may your Spirit open our hearts to receive your word as it truly is, the word of the living God. And we pray that as we listen to this word, we would come away with a glorious hope in the Lord Jesus, renewed afresh. In his name we pray. Amen. Uh, well, many of us have, uh, will go through periods uh, of our lives walking in the shadows of depression and despair. Uh, sometimes we'll know uh, why we feel the way we do. Sometimes we won't. Sometimes our despair will feel bearable, Sometimes it will overwhelm us. I remember going through a particularly low point in my last two years of high school. I covered it up pretty well, but internally I was miserable for those two years. And I remember going to church during this time and just struggling to really tap into the joy that others seemed to be experiencing there. I particularly remember we would occasionally be encouraged to clap during some of the songs and, and sometimes even encouraged to do actions to some of the songs. And let me tell you, having to clap and do actions when you're feeling low, well, it's not great. I knew I needed to be at church, but I just couldn't shake the depressing cloud that I felt constantly. You see, to me, Sunday morning simply meant Monday morning was just around the corner, and that meant yet another wretched week at school was about to begin. Well, in the psalm that we're reading today, we're introduced to another believer who went through his life with a dark cloud over his head, and his cloud is very dark. But this is a psalm that still speaks God's word to us, particularly those of us who are going through a time of great despair. It actually shows us what it looks like to walk with God when the darkness is great. So what I want to do tonight is really first walk through and feel the pain that this psalmist is expressing. And then what I want us to think about is the purpose of his prayer and how it gives help and guidance to despairing believers today. So first, let's look at the pain in this prayer. Uh, what's interesting about the psalmist's prayer is, in one sense, not just how it ends on the note of darkness, but how it begins. Dear Lord, you are the God who saves me, verse 1. Uh, even in his darkness, the psalmist holds on for dear life to what he has been raised to believe about God. 
that he is a saving God, the God who has helped Israel time and time again. But I suspect he's thinking, will God help me? Verse 1, day and night I cry out to you. May my prayer come before you, turn your ear to my cry. Uh, In Bruce Springsteen's song, Brilliant Disguise, uh, his final line in the song is this, God have mercy on the man who doubts what he's sure of. And that is a sad place to be in, to doubt what you're sure of. You see, at one level, the psalmist holds on to the fact that God saves, but his feelings are telling him a different story. He looks at his life and he thinks, my life is utterly miserable. In fact, I think I'm a lost cause at this point. And that's effectively what he goes on to pour out to God in prayer. Now, maybe you've been taught to pray according to the ACTS acronym, A-C-T-S. When I came to Melbourne, that's how I was taught to pray, a well-rounded prayer, ACTS. You start with A, adoration, then you move to C, confession, then comes thanksgiving, and then finally S, supplication, the things you want God to do. But notice this psalmist's prayer doesn't follow a neat pattern like that. He doesn't seem to be in the mood to sing praises nor to offer confession. There's no thanks here, and the only supplication he offers is simply, help me, verse 13. What this psalmist is doing is telling God all about the absolute darkness of his misery. And I think we need to see right at the outset that this kind of prayer is okay in God's eyes. So let's think about what this prayer is saying. I've broken uh, this prayer up into four painful cries to the Lord. One, I feel like I can't go on. Two, I feel like you're punishing me. Three, I feel like there is no purpose. And four, I feel totally alone. So first, I feel like I can't go on. Dear God, I feel like I cannot go on. Sometimes in life, things just feel so hopeless, so dark that life almost seems unlivable. In his early years, Abraham Lincoln suffered great depression and wrote these words in the middle of it. I am now the most miserable man living. If what I feel were equally distributed to the whole human family, there would not be one cheerful face on earth. Whether I shall ever be better, I cannot tell. I awfully forebode, I shall not. To remain as I am is impossible. I must die or be better, it appears to me. See, like Abraham Lincoln, the psalmist is at a point where he feels like he can't go on. He is a man so overwhelmed with troubles that his life feels like death. See, look at verse 3 with me. I am overwhelmed with troubles. And my life draws near to death. I am counted among those who go down to the pit. I am like one without strength. See, though there are some moments in the Psalms uh, that speak of being taken into the heavenly glory beyond death, usually in the Psalms, death uh, and the concept of death, or Sheol, is usually cast in negative terms. Death is often pictured in the Psalms as the great leveller of rich and poor, 
The dead are often viewed as unremembered, cut off, silenced. And although this psalmist is not dead physically, that's how he feels. See, look at verse 5. I am set apart with the dead, that like the slain who lie in the grave, who you remember no more, who are cut off from your care. The psalmist is saying, I feel like death. I feel cut off from all that is good in life. Have you forgotten about me, God? It's terrible to feel so low that you can't go on. But you see, it can be worse when the thought starts to creep in that God might actually be deliberately punishing you. Which brings us to the second cry of this prayer. God, I feel like you're punishing me. You see, there's a switch that happens between verses 5 and 6. Notice that in verses 3 to 5, it's I, I, I. I'm overwhelmed. I am counted among those. I am set apart with the dead. But in verses 6 to 8, his focus switches from himself to God, and it's all you, 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 you have done this to me, God. Look at verse 6. You have put me in the lowest pit, in the darkest depths. Your wrath lies heavily on me, and you have overwhelmed me with all your waves. You have taken um, from me my closest friends and made me repulsive to them. You see, there's a sense here that this guy feels like he's being treated like the wicked, of which the lowest pit of Sheol or hell is reserved. God, I feel like you are punishing me and there's no escape from it. I'm trapped in this misery. Look at the end of verse 8. I am confined and cannot escape. My eyes are dim with grief. I wonder if you able to resonate at any level with this guy, feeling punished by God, eyes dim with grief. I suspect there may be some of us who have wondered whether God is punishing us, but I wonder how many of us have ever dared to get honest with God and actually express those feelings to him. But, see, that's the thing about this prayer. There's no platitudes here. It's gritty. It's raw, it's real, and God has placed it among all the Psalms as a model, among other Psalms as a model of how we can pray to the living God when we are feeling like this. And we'll think a little bit more about that in a moment. But you see, the psalmist isn't done yet. In his third cry, he is saying, God, I feel like my life is pointless. I feel like there is no purpose. You see, though the psalmist is hurting deeply, I I do think it's clear that he still wants to be praising God. In fact, that's, I think, why we see him keeping God in the picture. Look at verse 9. I call to you, Lord, every day. I spread out my hands to you. See, this guy wants his situation to change. He, He feels like he's on the verge of death. And in his mind, that's where all praise to God falls silent. But he wants to be back in the land of the living, where he can sing of God's goodness with the rest of God's people. So it's like he's saying, God, what's the actual point here? 
You know I want to live and praise you, but you have me living in the shadow of death here where that just seems impossible. Verse 10, do you show your wonders to the dead? Do their spirits rise up and praise you? Is your love declared in the grave, your faithfulness in destruction? Are your wonders known in the place of darkness or your righteous deeds in the land of oblivion? What is the point of going through this pain, Lord? You know, maybe you've wrestled with that question. I don't see this being used for any good, God. I don't see how you are more glorified through all of this. God, I feel like there's no purpose here. But maybe in the fourth part of this prayer, things will start to make sense. Maybe we'll see some hope at the end. Well, if you're looking for a happy ending, you're not going to find it in this psalm. As Andrew mentioned earlier, this is by far the saddest psalm of all. Uh, In other psalms, you will often uh, finish on a note of praise and thanksgiving. Take Psalm 73, for instance. After the psalmist has poured out all his pain to God, similar to here, he actually, in one sense, comes to his senses and sees what he's been forgetting. Yet I am always with you, he says to God. You do hold me by your right hand. But that's not our guy, is it? Our guy can't bring himself to finish on a note of praise. Instead, he finishes on a note of God's absence. His final cry is this, God, I feel like I'm totally alone. Uh, For many of us, uh, COVID-19 is reminding us just how difficult isolation can be. See, we get joy from being able to see friends and family. We get joy from debriefing our life with a friend in a coffee shop. To feel like we're cut off from people is just depressing. But imagine for a second that you had to go through this moment of isolation during the hardest time of your life. A relationship breakdown, a death, job loss. Just when you need support, you feel cut off from it. Well, that might be a taste of the isolation that our psalmist is feeling at this moment. You see, not only does he feel overwhelmed by troubles, verse 3, he is convinced no one sees him and no one cares, not God, not anybody. Look at verse 13. But I cry to you, Lord, for help. In the morning my prayer comes before you. Why, Lord, do you reject me and hide your face from me? Where are you, God? I feel like my whole life has been one taste of your wrath after another, verse 15. My troubles surround me like a flood. I feel engulfed by them, verse 17. It doesn't seem like you're here with me. And worse, you've taken away all my friends. See that in verse 18. You have taken from me friend and neighbor. God, no one wants to be around me anymore. It's like I am repulsive to them, verse 8. Lord, I feel totally alone. The only companion I have is the darkness of my despair that hangs out with me day in, day out. 
That's the note it finishes on. Verse 18, darkness. Darkness is my closest friend. See, this is a painful prayer. It essentially reads, Dear Lord, I feel like I can't go on. I feel like you're punishing me. I feel like there is no purpose. I feel like I'm totally alone. Amen. When was the last time we sang Psalm 88 at church? I'm not sure anyone's really sung that song in church. Well, that's the pain in the prayer. What about the purpose of this prayer? Uh, It's often been said uh, that God's good plan for this world and, and the lives of his people can be compared a little bit to a great tapestry. Uh, If you look at a tapestry from the front, it displays a beautiful picture of coloured thread woven together perfectly. But if you look at it from the back, you can see maybe a bit of an outline of the picture, but for the most part, it's just a mess of coloured threads all tangled. And this is actually a good illustration of the way God works together in all things for the good of his people. Now, while some of us might get a little bit of a glimpse of the tapestry from the front, God's good plan, like Joseph, for example, who was able to see God bringing good from the evil that had been done against him. But most of us experience life looking at the mess of the thread, kind of a little bit unable to see the glorious tapestry of God's plan, unsure of what God's up to. Now, I don't know, but I suspect that like many of us, our psalmist didn't get to see the tapestry from the front until he came into God's glory. But while he may have only seen the mess of the back, we actually see a a glimpse, I think, of how God wove this man's life together into his grand tapestry for good, for our good. You see, sometimes we have to walk with God in the dark. And this psalm helps us with that, I think, in three big ways. It says that we're not the only ones who suffer. It shows us how to hang on to God. And it reminds us how much we need Jesus. So first, it says that we're not the only one. Sometimes church can feel like a happy place. Often we have our smiles on. Most of the time we answer good thanks to the question, how are you? And you see, if if you're a bit depressed, if you're feeling low, it's easy to feel out of place amidst that. But you see, believers just like you can and do get depressed. This psalm shows us that. The psalmist was an Old Testament believer who was clearly despairing about life. And this psalm, I think, debunks the idea that depression is a sign of God's displeasure with a person. See, there's no suggestion in this psalm that this is a wicked man we're listening to. In fact, quite the opposite, I would say. He appears to be a man who's faithful in prayer despite his awful circumstances. How many of us can say that We are praying to God day and night like him. 
A depression and despair can affect any of God's people, pastor or parishioner, rich or poor, healthy or sick, young or old. Uh, If you are walking through the pain of depression, know that you're not alone. This psalmist is one believer, at least, who gets your pain, and actually, like him, many of God's people throughout the ages have also walked the road of darkness, perhaps similar to the road you might be walking. And that's actually why I think it's better that we are actually honest with each other when we are asked how we're going. Now, we still need to be discerning about how much we disclose and to who, but we don't want to be giving the wrong impression that church is only for the happy, the healthy people whose lives are all together. Church is supposed to be a place where anyone, no matter how broken or depressed, can find a reason for living in the good news of Jesus. And we actually need to remember that Jesus himself walked a path of darkness and wasn't afraid to let his disciples know how he was feeling. See, notice how Jesus echoes the words of verse 3 of our passage in Mark 14, verse 34. There Jesus says to his disciples, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. See, I think for many of us, the honesty of another Christian gives us freedom to be honest in return. And when that happens, we suddenly feel like we're not the only one. Things start to feel more like we're we're two broken sinners in the trenches of faith together, totally dependent on Jesus for everything. This psalm tells us we're not the only one. Uh, But second, this psalm, this prayer shows us How to hang on. Sometimes the weight of our struggles is so great uh, that it's just hard to keep our head above water. Uh, Like the psalmist, our troubles can overwhelm us. They surround us like a flood and engulf us. Uh, It then becomes hard to see through the darkness of our pain. And it becomes hard to see how anything could ever actually improve. Uh, We know we should pray, but we'd kind of rather not. Uh, When we feel like this, it's helpful to remember what the psalmist does when he's in that headspace. Though he feels hopeless, punished, confused, alone, he actually tells God about it. He keeps walking with God in the darkness of his life simply by speaking to him of the pain he's experiencing. Now, that may be getting said in faint whispers, but it's still getting said, and it's getting said to God. God remains in the picture for this guy. See, that's how we are called to suffer well in difficult circumstances. Uh, In Hosea 7.14, God laments the fact that Israel will not cry out to him in their pain, but would rather cry into their pillows. God says, they do not cry out to me from their hearts, but wail on their beds. See, we have two choices in our darkness. We, we can cry on our beds or we can cry out to the Lord. 
He is the God who saves, verse 1. He actually does care about us, even if we don't feel like he does. You see, the psalmist's suffering wasn't pointless. God was working through him in his grand plan to help countless other believers hold on and find a voice for their pain in the darkness they experience. The psalmist is teaching us how to cry to God instead of only crying to our pillows. He's telling us that God is not looking for lengthy prayers. He doesn't need us to be super articulate. He simply wants us to be real with him and simply say, this is where I'm at, God, and this is how dark it feels. That's how you keep going through the darkness. That's how God stays in the picture. That's what faith looks like in the darkness of depression. Uh, it shows us, uh, this psalm shows us how to hold on. But finally, this psalm reminds us how much we need Jesus. Uh, this psalm puts within us, I think, a right longing for hope amidst the darkness we face, the lack of a final note of hope makes us yearn for one. See, it would be awful to think that darkness was truly the final word. But for those of us who have come to know God's promised saviour, Jesus, darkness is never the final word. Jesus made sure of that by dying for our sins on the cross so that we could be forgiven, reconciled to God, given new life that extends beyond the trials of this world and into eternity, an eternity of light, peace, and joy. And if you're listening and you're not yet a follower of Jesus, that hope, it's on offer for you as well, through faith in Jesus. But Jesus doesn't just give us real hope. He also gets the pain that we go through. And you see, there's something comforting about knowing that Jesus not only saves us, but gets us. You see, even more than the psalmist, Jesus knows what it is to be overwhelmed with sorrow. He knows what it is to be deserted and left friendless. He knows what it is to cry out, God, why have you forsaken me? He knows what it is to endure the wrath of God because he took it upon himself when he died on the cross on our behalf. Jesus gives us real hope. He gets our pain, but he also travels, uh, he also travels with us in the darkness. See, here's the thing. Jesus went through the darkness of the cross to make sure that you never go through the darkness of your trials alone. No matter how hopeless, punished, confused, or abandoned you feel, the fact is Jesus walks that road with you. As he says to his first disciples, I will never leave you nor forsake you. He fills you with his spirit and gives you grace to endure. Uh, the gospel of Jesus tells his people that we have hope. We're not hopeless. 
It tells us that we're loved, not punished. It reminds us that suffering can be used for good in God's big tapestry, and it tells us that we are never truly alone, for we have been united to Christ. See, Jesus is the light that this dark psalm longs for. Uh, The author of Hebrews says these words in chapter 12. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners that you will not grow weary and lose heart. You see, we can lose heart in this life. And like the psalmist, our eyes can become dim with grief. But like the psalmist, we need to keep lifting our tear-filled eyes heavenward to the right hand of the throne of God, to the Lord Jesus who promises to raise us up on that last day to experience that joy with him for all eternity. Charles Spurgeon, the great 19th century theologian, uh, actually suffered greatly from depression, and he put his experience this way. I know perhaps as well as anyone what depression means and what it is to feel myself sinking lower and lower. Yet at the worst, when I reach the lowest depths, I have an inward peace which no pain or depression can in the least disturb. Trusting in Jesus Christ, my Saviour, there is still a blessed quietness in the deep caverns of my soul, though upon the surface a rough tempest may be raging and there may be little apparent calm. See, like Spurgeon, we may be called to walk with God through times of great darkness. But this psalm reminds us tonight that walking with God in those times is still possible. Uh, It reassures us that we're not the only ones who have experienced the dark. It shows us how to hold on through honest prayer. And it reminds us just how good the light of Jesus is amidst the darkness of our despair. Let's pray. Our gracious Father, I pray that you would comfort us with the gospel tonight. Father, I pray specifically for those who are walking under a cloud of despair currently. Please help them to speak to you about it. Help them to hold on to the Lord Jesus, who does truly save them. And in his name we pray. Amen.